Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What's up, everybody? It's your host, Will, coming back for a new episode of the HuntStand Podcast, powered by 10-Point Crossbows, defining crossbow precision for over 25 years. On this week's episode, the topic is early season whitetail hunting, tips, tactics, strategies, whatever you would like to dub it. But we're going to get none other than himself, Mr. Bill Winky, on here to talk about that. I definitely do not have the pedigree to talk about that, as I am solely focused on trying to get my first early season deer in Kansas here fairly soon. So, Hopefully going to be picking up some serious knowledge nuggets from Bill himself. But Bill's going to be coming on here to talk about that and just really hone in on the time of year that these deer are in. You know, they're kind of, some are still in that summer pattern. Some are starting to transition off, getting into those fall patterns. And so Bill's going to bring some really good tips and tactics to you guys and gals out there listening to hopefully help you bag that deer this time of year, whether you're chasing after a velvet buck or, you know, you might even be chasing a buck into early October. And that's what you're going to be doing still in that early season before those deer really start getting ruddy or into that seeking phase. But I'm not going to get too much into it. We just want to thank all y'all for tuning in to the Stand Podcast. We greatly appreciate the support. And if you haven't yet, make sure you rate, review, follow, and subscribe. And before I get, y'all head down to the link in the description below. Bill has been hosting a Deer Dirt series on our YouTube channel over the past few weeks. And what he's shown us is how he is taking his property and molding it into a deer paradise. What he's doing, his methods, and just everything he's doing to that, utilizing hunt stand. So make sure you'll head down to the link in the description below. Check that out. And again, y'all, I just want to thank you for tuning into the Hunt Stand Podcast. I'm going to quit talking, and here's our guy, Bill Winky. All right, well, Bill, welcome back to the Hunt Stand Podcast. We had you on here before talked a little bit about shed hunting and the meaning behind all of it you know earlier this spring and so i wanted to get you on here again and we're going to be talking early season deer hunting but before we do just kind of give the listeners that 30 foot tree stand view of who you are man i started out in 1990 mm-hmm. writing for 
the magazines. And that was really my, I would say, my passion and how I got started in the, in the hunting industry. In 2008, I started transitioning into video. So that's been kind of my, more my focus since then. Yeah. I started a series called Midwest Whitetail in 2008 yeah. and then moved away from that uh, in uh, 2020. And there's, you know, th- those guys are still operating that and they're doing a nice job, but I'm not involved with that anymore. Mm-hmm. I started another series just on the Bill Winkie YouTube channel called Bowhunting Whitetails, another one called Dream Farm. And uh, so that's what I've been focused on mostly. Still do a little bit of writing, but uh, most of my effort now is, is focused on video production and, and uh, you know, hopefully helping bow hunters and uh, people who own or, or manage hunting land, you know, through those two series. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got that Deer Dirt series that we just yeah. kicked off with you a few weeks ago, and that's been taking off pretty well, man. Good. Yeah, that's that's fun. I, I like doing that. That one is, uh, well, anything that has to do with being on the farm, you know, the, the management stuff, I feel like is, uh, to me now at my age, where I'm at, is probably as much fun as the hunting. You know, I, I get as excited about, you know, getting on a tractor and, and working a food plot or creating a new food plot or even running trail cameras as uh, what I used to, you know, when I was younger being in the tree. Mm-hmm. Man, it, I got to tell you, just watching you on the series that you started, and even just uh, stuff on your own channel, I, I was watching you where you were uh, planting acorn seeds behind a tractor not long ago. Yeah. Of course, me being down here in Texas, I'm thinking, man, that's a pretty dang good idea, but not sure if it worked too well down here in this hot, arid dirt. So Yeah, you Years would probably be site specific. Um, you know, like there's certain spots I'm sure that it would work down yeah. there. Um, because, you know, nature produces oak trees mm-hmm. in some of those areas. So if nature can do it. You can do it. Yeah, we do have live oak. And that was kind of what got me thinking. I'm like, man, I could just go under a bunch of those trees, pick a lot of those acorns when they drop. And then I've got probably 15 acres it might work on that we could try it yeah. on. But you never know. So, yeah, no, it, it, it works. Uh, and we could get, you know, off topic on that and spend the whole podcast talking about planting acorns, but, uh, it definitely works. I mean, I've done it, I think four or five times now I started in 2007 was my first one mm-hmm. and I've done multiple since then. And I'd say I've had, you know, maybe a 75% success rate overall. You're not going to get perfection. Yeah. Uh, there's, there's other factors involved, stuff that you can't control. And sometimes the seed that you use isn't isn't as good, you know, some years as others. Depends on where you get it and how you get it, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So, like I said, we could go on and on talking about that. And maybe we'll uh, do a Deer Dirt uh, episode on that at some point where I can go into a lot of detail. Oh, I'd love to watch it. Or heck, I mean, that's a podcast topic idea for later this year that we'll have to do. Yeah, I mean, anybody can do it. You know, it's not. You know, it's not like there's anything, you know, scientific that you have to overcome. I mean, nature plants oak trees. Yeah. All you're doing is trying to duplicate that, you know, rather than the squirrel planting, you know, 25, yeah. you're the guy planting 25,000, yes. you know, and, and the squirrel's using his little paws, you know, to dig a hole. You're using a tractor and a disc. <laughs> so yeah. it's a, it's a cool process. A little bit more efficient. Yeah. <laughs> well, man, for this episode, you know, we're going to talk early season whitetail hunting. We've got a lot of guys that are going to start heading out 
for those early season tags. You know, some of them might be chasing after velvet, you know, like out in Kentucky, myself going to be going out to Kansas in a couple of weeks. And so let's talk about that. And so share with us a little bit, you know, you've been deer hunting long time. So you've had lots of different places. You've gotten to hunt. You've got lots of experiences. So tell us what your experience is with early season whitetail hunting before we really get into the nuts and bolts of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hit and miss. Um, the, it's almost like nature, you know, the, the deer hunting behavior does a bait and switch on us because you've got this awesome summer patterns that these deer are on. They're so visible. Mm -hmm. You're seeing them all the way through August. It's like, man, oh man, my season opens in, you know, 10 days. I know right where I'm going to be. This is going to be awesome. Well, that's exactly when, you know, the testosterone level hits that point where the bucks start shedding their velvet. They don't want to be, you know, buddies anymore. So they break up their bachelor groups. They start dispersing into their fall ranges. So just about the time that these early season, um, you know, these early hunts come in, the whole behavior of the bucks kind of blows up. And, you know, I've always said if you could hunt them in August, it would be like cheating you know, because it's a whole different animal. And then just as soon as that calendar flips over to September, you've got a few days, you know, where they're still kind of, you know, hanging on those summer patterns. Mm-hmm. And then it's like all bets are off. So, you know, that's the mistake that most people make, I think, is that they try to hang on those summer patterns too long. And you need to rethink where the deer are what they're doing because everything about them just changed you know their testosterone level started to rise now their 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 whole mindset is is different than it was you know for the past three months Um, so that's the the challenge part the upside to it is you you can still catch like i said a few of them that are on that the tail end of that summer pattern and uh, in areas where the deer are stressed it's easier to take advantage of the early season than it is in areas where they're not stressed. Yes. You know, like the farm that I own, I don't think I could kill a deer even right now buck, because there's so much food. Um, you know, there's not very many deer to speak of, you know, the acorns are starting to drop a little bit there. I mean, I'm not hardly even seeing any deer, you know, coming to fields or anything. Uh, they've just got so many options. So it's hard to compress them, uh, in those conditions into a situation where you can take advantage of it. Um, one, one advantage we probably have or one opportunity we have this year is water um, because there's been a lot of droughts all over the country, you know, a lot of really hot you know, days and, and we're in it right now. Um, a lot of the, the ponds on our farm have dried right up. So I think water sources might be that one stress point um, that, that you might not otherwise have. Yeah. Again, you're always looking for that. Like, what is the one, like, um, what is the thing that they lack? You know, what is the thing that they're in short supply of? Because that's where you can get them because that's what they're going to be you know, moving toward. So that was probably a little bit more than you were looking for from a no. answer. No, man, not at all. So when you're looking at early season and compared to other times of the year, what would you say are probably the key differences between going out there and hunting them late August, early September versus the rut. I think it's, uh, you know, for sure it's what motivates the deer. And 
you know, the Bucks obviously are, are, are switching over. They're in the rut as they get closer and closer to the end of October, you know, throughout most of the country. That starts to really change. Mm-hmm. But prior to that, it's more about, you know, find the food and you find the deer. So the food, the food sources are changing. And whereas you sat on a soybean field during the summer and you saw, you know, a batch of group of nice bucks coming out, you know, the beans are starting to turn yellow now. They're not as attractive, you know, to the deer and the alfalfa fields nearby. You know, the deer aren't coming out to them as much. Yeah. Their, their whole behavior and their physiology has changed, but also what they're feeding on has changed. And basically what you're seeing is that movement where they're, uh, um, they're not leaving very far from their bedding areas and they're eating acorns. That's, that's really the tough pattern uh, because you have to go in after them. You know, and, and that's only, in, again, those areas where there's not that obvious stress. I mean, where you're going to in Kansas, you know, there might be only one food source. Yeah. You know, they might live on, you know, one little bend of the river and they come out to this alfalfa field or whatever. And no matter what, that's where they're going to go. I mean, that's where they're going to feed. Maybe the buck that you're after has moved, you know, a couple of bends down, you know, on the river because of that, you know, that dispersal. But mm-hmm. they're still going to those specific food sources. And that's, that's been only, the only times I've had really good success during the early season is when the food supply was limited like that, you know, where you knew you could compress them down to certain areas. Yeah. I mean, the famous one is the Milk River. I mean, everybody knows, you know, from watching the real tree videos oh, and yeah. some other buck masters used to hunt there quite a bit. And that was like, I shouldn't say shooting fish in a barrel, but they didn't have any place else to feed. Mm-hmm. They, they lived in a bend of the river and they fed in the alfalfa field. That was it. You know, there was nothing else. And uh, um, those situations are really good for early season. But when you've got more of a wooded environment where now, let's say, 25% of the timber is oak and 50% of them have acorns, you know, and, and a percentage of them are already dropping their acorns. You know, it's like, you know, where do you start? Yeah, absolutely. You're really spread out. Absolutely. And, you know, that's, you know, we both know where I'm going in Kansas and the guy I've been talking to, Cody there, uh, one of the things that he has let me in on is, a lot of the local farmers have had to start cutting cornfields or shredding just because it's gotten so hot and so dried up that they're just not producing. And so when they were getting some a little bit of rain, you, we kind of saw the deer go away from those food sources he had in place, and you weren't seeing them on camera as much. Now that it's gotten super hot and dry and we're nearing the season, farmers have cut those fields, and he's got new bucks showing up every night. So it's kind of like what you're talking about, that they've got that food source that they know is there and that they have to have now. Yeah. And anytime you can compress where they can feed, like their their feeding options, mm-hmm. um, you're going to do really well, either early season or late season. Yeah. Anytime they're focused on food, um, if they're stressed in, in some way, you can take advantage of that level. You know, whatever it is that's stressing them, that's what's in short supply. You find that, you find the deer. Absolutely. So, yeah. in your opinion, what do you think makes early season hunting so unique and challenging for bow hunters? I think it's, that's what I think it is in my mind, is, is it's the type of patterning 
that we're just not used to. Mm-hmm. It's that transition time. You know, I think by October 1, a lot of that fall range dispersal has sort of filtered itself out. Yeah. And the bucks are getting, you know, more stable as far as like where they're going to spend the rest of the fall. But you've got three weeks in there, maybe even more, where it's kind of like everything's up for grabs. You know, they're filtering away from their summer ranges, sort of settling into their fall ranges. Uh, you almost feel like you're playing catch up. Uh, I used to go up to Alberta. I had a buddy up there that I hunted with, and I, I would go up there early season. And um, Ron had a super cub. In Alberta, it's a six-hour no-hunt rule. So we could fly in the mornings, you know, and, and see where the bucks were, you know, coming off the alfalfa fields and then or whatever food source. And then in the afternoons, in, in theory, you know, we could set up and try to catch them coming back because you had a six-hour gap there where, you couldn't hunt during that six hours, but it, you know, it was longer than that. Yeah. So we, we tried to do that. And even then it was really tough. You know, it was really tough to, uh, you know, that was usually sometime around the third through the 10th of September. Um, and he, he would say, well, boy, last week, you know, he, he would always have, you know, that last week story. And that's again exactly when that transition takes place. So yes. even with those advantages of being able to fly um, and, and pinpoint the deer that day, we still weren't able to, you know, really, you know, uh, be super effective. Um, it's just a really tough time, a really tough transitional time, mm. except in those places where they don't have very many options. Again, then, then it's, uh, you know, it can be very doable. Yeah. But uh, I, I like. I guess I like hunting the rut um, in that's I never hunted the early season a lot, um, but I would do, and, and we, you know, our season's never open until October one in most of the states that I've hunted and I've traveled out West and like I said, up into Canada, but uh, let's take an October one opener and you'd be running trail camera and starting, let's say early September, just consistently less and less and less daylight activity mm-hmm. on those trail cameras until October one came and there'd be none. <laughs> it's like, you know, you just watch that, you know, you know, progressive decline in daylight movement. And I've had a whole bunch of conversations with people about that. So are these bucks becoming more nocturnal or what's the deal? And uh, the biologists say that their studies suggest that the deer are on their feet the same amount of time during daylight, you know, during the quote-unquote October lull mm-hmm. as what they are in September. But they're just not coming out into the, the open areas. Right. So they're staying really close to their bedding areas. And, you know, from my standpoint, that's almost like they're nocturnal because you got to go right into where they bed to have any chance on them because – they just aren't moving away from those bedding areas much during the day. Um, so that's that's been my experience. Anyway, coming back to that, I can count on one hand the number of daylight active mature bucks that I've had on the farms that I've hunted in prior to say the twenty early twenties, you know, twenty first, twenty second, twenty fifth of October. You know, those first three weeks of October, I can count on one hand number of mature bucks on camera that were daylight active coming out mm-hmm. you know into the into the edges granted they might have been daylight active you know if you'd have got right next to their beds um 
So anyway, that's what makes it tough. Yeah. And, and uh, I hate educating deer. Um, yes. You know, so you can see where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. And when you're trying to hunt bucks that you don't know exactly where they're at or whether or not they're daylight active, it's a little bit of a crapshoot. And the odds are a lot higher that you're going to bump that buck than kill him. Um, because you don't really know exactly where you're going or, or when. Um, so anyway, that's my overall sense is that, that there's a few green lights for early season hunting and a lot of cautionary, you know, yellow flags. Um, you get those green lights, you go for it. And the rest of the time you got to be super careful because you can actually, you know, make it harder to kill those bucks later in the season if you start bumping them early. Yeah. Do, doing more harm than good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's always been my, and I've killed some bucks in October, you know, in the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, my best early season hunting has been out West, you know, um, what would it be Wyoming, Montana, um, Alberta, you know, some of those places that have those September seasons. I think North Dakota produces some pretty good early season hunting too. Yeah. Um, where you're going, you said it opened on the 12th. The 12th of September. Yeah. So you're going to be on that the tail end, I think, of when they're still trickling off those daylight patterns into the more, you know, buried in the cover, more nocturnal, more secluded. Um, so you, it just gets tougher. Yeah. You know, the closer you can get to August, the better. <laughs> yeah, especially when you're trying to film a, a, a TV show or film for it, you know, you want to try and pick the best times and we're like, man, we just need to get out there when they're still the most predictable. And we felt that that'd be a good time just when they'd be on a pattern. Otherwise, if not, we're going to have to try and figure out a time to go back. Uh, probably November. Yeah. And you can do, obviously you can do well during those times. I just think that the early season can be real hit and miss, uh, for the reasons that we talked about. I mean, the, all the stuff that you're going off, all the information that you're going off is changing. Mm-hmm. So it's really hard to put your finger on, you know, a certain spot at a certain time and say, this is where I can kill that buck when, you know, his whole pattern is, you know, it's changing every day. So let's kind of talk about that for a little bit. You know, let's, let's uh, put ourselves in the boots of the guy that, you know, he's heading out to Kentucky, could be public land, could be... Uh, maybe a semi-guided or kind of like that DIY outfitter hunt that you're staying somewhere, but you kind of have free reign. Mm-hmm. And you've had cameras out there. You've got that information from the guide and outfitter. Walk us through kind of, um, you know, how you analyze the movement from those cameras and then going into selecting a spot for stand locations. You know, are you trying to find that area between food and bed. You're going to set up on that food source, water source. Like what, what's going to be your thought process for all that? Well, ideally you'd set up on the edge. You'd set up on the food or on the water uh, because those are going to be the, the spots that you can get to the most easily without bumping any deer. Mm-hmm. You may need somebody to come at the end of legal shooting time and you know clear the deer out so you can sneak away. Right. But when the deer aren't getting to those places until dark, then you've got to backtrack them. Or, I mean, in my situation, I may not even hunt them. You know, I mean, if I'm at home, I'll just wait, you know. Mm-hmm. But you're on the trip. You're there for that reason. 
you're going to do what you got to do to, to, you know, you might take a little bit more risk. Well, now you got to backtrack. And the ideal way for that would be the, the heavier used trails, especially the ones that if your trail cameras are picking up bucks that you'd shoot, but they're after legal shooting time, mm-hmm. the first picture that you get of them usually is going to be coming from the direction of their bedding area. Yeah. So whatever direction their butt is pointing, and maybe you've got four or five, you know, uh, data points that you can look at and you can say, okay, he's probably betting back on this peninsula, you know, thick brush down by this Creek. Well, that's the educated guess that you've got to go with. Mm-hmm. And you've got to put yourself as close to that spot as you can without bumping him on the way in. And, and it'd be perfect if you had a little bit of wind, you know, because, you know, you can get away with murder if it's windy, yeah. you know, as far as like sneaking in. But, uh, you know, if you got calm days, it can be really tough to get, you know, close to where they bed without the deer knowing. Um, so anyway, that's that's the way I would look at it is, you know, the trail camera ideally would tell you if you've got daylight activity in those more obvious, easy to hunt spots. And if you don't, then again, hopefully the camera is telling you what direction they're coming from. And then you just move in that direction to the most likely place where they're bedded. And, you know, you know, if you can find a spot between where you think they're bedded and where they're feeding or watering, Mm -hmm. um, you could go there next because that's a little bit less risky, you know, than going all the way to where you think, you know, they might be bedded. Um, But that's early season, I believe, in a nutshell. I think you have to hunt pretty close to where they bed. And uh, it's pretty risky, you know. And uh, um, But again, if you're there for that purpose – and you're not worried about hunting that deer later in the season, you know, then you take those chances. Absolutely. You know, and the other thing I kind of want to ask you on too is, you know, some guys only got that four or five day window period to go hunt, you know, this time of year. And, um, I've heard a lot of guys don't hunt in the mornings. So if you're not doing that, are you going to take that time to try and scout from afar, get on some glass and see if you can identify some of those patterns or are you in the stand in the mornings? Yeah. I don't hunt mornings during the early season. I do exactly what you say. I mean, it depends on where I'm at. If I'm traveling to hunt, then I probably am not working, mm-hmm. you know, from home. So then I would be out there trying to figure out, um, you know, sitting somewhere where I can glass those corridors leading from food or water back to bed. And I probably wouldn't be there in the first place if those areas didn't set up at least reasonably well for early season hunting. Yeah. You know, so you're probably going to pick up something that you can use, some kind of information. And that doesn't mean they'll do the exact same thing that evening. But again, if they're really confined, really restricted on what their options are, they might. You know, they might come back out that afternoon on the exact trail that they went into bed on that morning. Um, you would definitely take your chances and set up that way. I mean, that was the whole Milk River formula. I mean, that's how everybody hunted the Milk River. You know, you just went up on the bluffs in the morning, you'd glass, you'd watch where the deer went in, and then you'd set up on those trails for those specific deer in the, in the afternoon, hoping they'd come back out on the same trails. Yeah. But again, they were very defined as to where they bedded and where they fed. Mm-hmm. In a lot of places... You don't have that level of visibility, nor do you have deer that are that narrowly 
you know, the, the patterns that they're living on aren't that narrow. Um, so, I mean, we could take your Kansas situation. If, I mean, I've had in Kansas quite a bit. So if it's typical Kansas, it's probably going to be similar to that. Um, you're probably going to have a limited number of places where they bed and a limited number of places where they feed. I mean, personally, I'd be out there at a safe distance trying to figure out in the mornings where they're going back to. Yeah. And then that's where I'd be set up in the afternoons, you know, to try to catch them coming out. And the reason is it's so hard to get into those spots in the morning without bumping the deer. Otherwise, you'd sit there in the morning. You know, it's again, it comes back to the wind. Um, so many times in the morning, it's dead still. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you know, you're trying to figure out how can I get into this spot. I know the deer is over here feeding, or he was, you know, during the night. He's working his way back over to here to bed. How can I get between those two spots without him knowing if it's dead calm out? Um, you know, pretty good chance you can't. So. Rather than risk it, you can go in at midday when you know it's going to be breezy. There's going to be birds chirping. There's going to be squirrels, you know, running around in the leaves. Lots of other stuff that's going to keep that deer from registering that little crunch that you make, you know, when you sneak in there and set up. Um, I've gotten a lot more careful about that kind of stuff, you know, over the years. You know, you like to think you can just go right in there and set up and they're not going to know. But they're so good at knowing what's going on around them. Um, we don't give them enough credit. You have to be extremely careful to keep the deer from knowing that you're that that you're hunting. Um, so anyway, that's I guess that's my take. That's why I like not hunting the mornings. Is taking that time to figure out exactly how to make that perfect evening ambush. And once in a while, you can you can come in the back door and you can get into the bedding area ahead of them. And there's some wind advantage, and you know there's ways of doing that. But uh, it can be really risky, especially if they're on a fairly narrow pattern to hunt them in the mornings, because you know if you just put your time in in the evenings, eventually you're going to get them, you know, coming back through those those areas. Um, so it, it's a, you know, I guess it's one of those things where um, it's a risk reward risk reward game. If you don't have much time yes. left, you take more risk. Yeah. Um, you know, the risk is higher, but the reward might be higher too. If it's coming to the end of your your hunt, you might hunt some mornings and get in there. You know, it's like, well, what have I got to lose? I got two days left. You know, I've been here for three days or four days already. Um, maybe I need to push a little bit. And, and, you know, hunting mornings deeper in the areas where you think they're going to bed, it's definitely riskier because, you know, you still got to figure out how to get out of there. And, you know, unless there's a perfect wind advantage, you know, like a, a river or something where your scent is blowing out over the river, or maybe there's a big, I don't know, chopped cornfield or something where you can get your scent to blow to, there's always a risk of something getting downwind of you, you know, when you're hunting in those bedding areas. So, uh, long answer to a short question. No, I mean, that that was perfect because, uh, I mean, it, myself, I'd always wondered, you know, I'd, I've only hunted twice uh, out of state well three times soon to be three times out of state and um you know i've always i've hunted early season in texas but to me i feel like texas is just like an exception to the rule on a bunch of stuff <laughs> so mm-hmm. i've always wondered why guys don't hunt in the morning and hearing you explain that just it, it makes all the sense in the world and unfortunately i learned that last year kind of the hard way nebraska had a pretty good opportunity at a deer in the afternoon late evening when we were actually heading back uh we were going to try and go glass another field 
we were still kind of in that Intel recon mode, if you will. And out of this drainage that we were fixing across here comes this pretty nice, uh, I think he was a nine or 10 point, made a shot at him. And um, we think we just had a bad broadhead deployment, was a touch too low. So I think it just kind of caught that elbow as he ducked. Deer's still alive. But the next couple of days, what we ended up doing in the mornings, we were going and sitting on the edges of some of these cornfields and watching them come out of the corn through the CRP down into some of these drainages. And I'm like, man, I wish I would have thought about doing this before I made that shot because then I could have made a better play on these deer instead of trying to move in the afternoon like we did late in the evening to go glass another field. But, I mean, that's how you learn. Yeah, and I think in areas where you've got good visibility, mm-hmm. that's the way to play the early season. Yes. Um, you know, if you don't have really vis- or good visibility, let's just pick like Kentucky, for example, yeah. versus Kansas. Um, Kentucky would be a lot tougher to hunt early season yeah. than Kansas would, or Nebraska for that matter. I mean, the mm-hmm. typical places that I've hunted in Nebraska and Kansas are way more um, limited habitat. And uh, you, know, you get into a big woods environment in Kentucky – I mean, they might not even leave the timber. They might be eating acorns, you know, exclusively. That's true. So it's it's going to be tough. Anyway, that's the whole point is you got to be super careful in the early season about being too aggressive because mm-hmm. if you're not right, um, you could mess up a spot for later in the season. Yes. Yes, absolutely. No, that's, this is all great advice. And so I know we're, we're getting short on time here. And before we wrap things up just kind of want to pick your mind you know like what are some things that we may not have covered so far when it comes to early season you know we've kind of talked about that stand blind placement we've talked about you know being careful how it's different uh is there anything when it comes to the early season you feel like we've missed thus far i don't think so i think it it it, i don't have good answers for the people that hunt the big woods early season because Again, you're, you're dealing with so much variety of food. Um, you probably have to have trails, you know, woods, roads, you can run on your ATV and put cameras out in a bunch of different spots. Mm-hmm. You know, I know in some of those states you can hunt bait, you know, so you can get, you know, better intel, you know, with a camera sitting on a pile of corn. Maybe you can even hunt the pile of corn and feel, you know, comfortable doing that. But right. in the areas where you're trying to hunt a bigger woods, early season, um, especially when you're dealing with the acorn patterns on an acorn year like this, um, it's really kind of a crapshoot. I mean, then all I would do in situations like that, I think, would be to hunt safe. And then just if you get lucky, you get lucky. Don't try to be like, okay, I've got this buck now, I'm going to go after him, you know, unless, you know, it's a you know one-week vacation and you're coming to the end. Yeah. Let's say you're hunting at home. Um Nothing wrong with hunting safe spots. I mean, I'll do that. You know, I'll hunt safe spots where there's an outside chance of killing a nice buck, but maybe, you know, a decent chance of shooting a doe. Um, So that's kind of my early season strategies in general. Um, I just don't want to hunt aggressively during the early season unless I know the payoff is, you know, really going to be worth that risk. Mm -hmm. Like a high high odds of, of getting a crack at this buck for some reason. You know, I've got some kind of information that says, okay, this is worth it. Um, if I don't have that information or, you know, where I feel like, you know, the odds are, are good enough, uh, I'm just going to hunt real safe. Yeah. And you can still kill nice bucks that way. Not very often, 
Um, but you're not going to mess it up for later in the season either. And you should be able to take a few does out and, you know, just enjoy being in the woods. I mean, I love hunting early season. You know, it's, it's a beautiful time to be out there. Heck yeah. It's just not that great typically in the places that I hunt for the types of bucks that I'm after. No. And that, that comes later. It really gets serious for me the 25th of October on, you know, up until then it's sort of like fun and games. Yeah. Right up until pretty much Halloween. Yeah. yeah. 25th is kind of when I start. Yeah. Um, I've had good success anytime after that. I mean, that's, that's when my, that's when I start hunting mornings. Cause you know, I just feel like there's enough movement still, you know, random movement taking place where you don't have to be sitting right on a box bed. You could be, you know, just in travel corridors and have that work. Um, you know, prior to that, you always got to be sitting on top of where that deer beds yeah. in order to have a crack at him. So when you've been chasing, like you've got, let's say you got that target buck that's, you've been having on camera. He's been daylighting, you know, right at last light essentially. So basically kind of what you're saying is if he starts, uh, going more and more nocturnal, you're just not going to risk it on that guy. Will you? I, I won't you know unless I've got a really, really good idea where he's bedded. Mm. Even then, I'm kind of, I'm really careful, almost maybe to a fault. Some people accuse me of being careful to a fault. Um, you know, I've killed a lot of really nice bucks over the years, so I don't believe that. So I'm not going to change the way that I hunt. But if I don't feel like the odds are pretty much in my favor, I wait because um, he's still going to be there, you know, unless he's on the neighbor or something. Then, then he got to, or it's public land or whatever. Then obviously, there's more dynamics involved then. But if I feel like the deer is more or less under my control, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just going to wait until the odds are swinging my direction. So I've got like three green lights for me, you know, and, and this goes from the beginning of the season to the end. You know, one green light is if I've got him on a daylight pattern, yeah. you know, on a camera, hunt him right away. Don't mm -hmm. wait. Don't, you know, come up with some reason not to go after him. Um, the other one is, uh, if you got a cold front coming and you know the buck's living in a certain area, hunt him on that cold front. Um, because the first time that he comes out in daylight in that area, he's probably going to be on a cold front. Yes. So go ahead and take that risk because the odds are strong enough then. And then the third one is, like I said, as the rut is approaching, you know, you're for me October 25th on, I'll be a little bit more aggressive then than I would be prior to that because. You know he's going to be on his feet more. You know, you may not have him on camera, but you know where he lives. You know, he lives on this part of the property or, you know, whatever the case may be on this mm -hmm. section of the river. Uh, I'm going to start hunting him now, you know, more aggressively because more than likely he's going to be on his feet because, you know, that's the stage of the rut that we're in. Um, that's basically the only three times when I go after a buck that, you know, that's on my list. Yeah. Um, other than that, it's just hunting safe, kind of hunting generically, being out there, having fun, shooting does. You know, I don't say you skip the early season. You don't skip it. No. You just have to be careful how aggressively you hunt it. For sure. And, you know, with that, over the years and the experience that you've had hunting all the different seasons of deer season, if it has or how has it, has your approach to the early season ever evolved over the years? You know, have you ever incorporated new things or is it just kind of 
you're kind of in that same boat as me where you learn those first few years and then you have a pretty good system in place from then on. I think we learn more and more now with trail cameras. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if I wanted to be more aggressive, I could figure out a way to kill more deer in early October. Um, I would just have to get better at sneaking around with the cameras and better at getting a pattern deeper in the timber. Um, I just haven't felt like I needed to do that. And there's a certain amount of time I have to spend in the office and there's, you know, plenty of stuff I have to do where, you know, I'm not hunting every single day of the season. You know, if if I was going to hunt every single day of the season, there probably is a way to wire that those first three weeks of October or, you know, in other states, you know, those, those September times. Yeah. Um, but you'd have to get really good at, you know, how to sneak in and out, when to sneak in and out, where to run your cameras, how to run your cameras so that the information that you got was relevant to what was happening in the timber. Um, and that's the part of the equation that I've avoided. I've avoided trying to pattern deer in the timber. Yeah. You know, I'm working on the fringes where I can drive up to the spot with my four wheeler or my truck or the tractor or something, you know, and the deer hear you, hear you coming and going, but they don't care, you know, but as soon as you try to run cameras and pattern deer back in the timber and really nail them down, um, I think you got to have a better system. You know, you've got to be trickier. Um, you could figure it out. You know, you, yeah. you would, it would take a few seasons, but you could get good at killing them during that time. Because like I said, the biologists have told us that they're on their feet. You know, they're not in their beds during daylight. So if they're on their feet for, say, an hour every evening before, you know, uh, dark, then there's a way to kill them. It's just how much risk are you willing to take and how good can you get at, you know, picking out those patterns deeper in the timber. You know, we may have just come up with some good video ideas for YouTube. <laughs> well, it's it, t- it would take a learning curve, I'm telling yeah. you. You know, I mean, we've spent years trying to figure out how to hunt them the way that we hunt them now. You know, and, you know, I think it would take me at least three or four years, maybe five years, if I said, I'm going to get good at killing deer the first three weeks of October back in the timber, I bet it would take me five years before I was good at it. Um, you know, and, and that would take you know a fair amount of trial and error. Mm-hmm. I'm just not ex- excited about that error part, you know, because I like to think that, you know, if I'm just patient and, you know, put my time in and wait and then hunt them later, then I can kill them then. Um, but that's not to say that October can't be good. Mm-hmm. It just isn't, can't do it the same way you do it in November. Um, oh, exactly. Yeah. yeah so exactly. you just got to figure out, you know, what can you do? Where are they? What are they doing? And how can I get myself in front of them without them knowing that I'm hunting them? And it gets trickier when you're compacting everything down to where they live. You know, it's one thing when you stretch it out. I'm on the fringe of their range. Yeah, I can get in and out of there. They don't know. But as soon as I go in where they live, I better be really, really good at what I'm doing because the odds of me bumping that deer or, you know, leaving some kind of sign that he picks up on or the other deer pick up on, you know, during the night. Now they become less and less active. They're not moving naturally in those areas anymore. You know, it's just, you start the downward spiral. Um, so I'm sure there's a way to do it. Yes. You know, I'd, I'd definitely follow along with that, but man, that would be a process. It might drive you nuts. Yeah. yeah and it, it'd be, it would be revolutionary in the way that you approach it. It would be, you probably have to do like ground blinds or something. Yeah. It'd be something unique. It wouldn't be like, 
you're just hunting the same way everybody else hunts, you'd have to do something different. You know, where you'd have, say, scent-containing ground blinds, and you would just go in there and sit. You'd get there at noon when the wind was blowing, sneak in there and sit inside that blind until dark, you know, and then you sneak out by a different route or whatever. Mm-hmm. You could probably do that, you know. But like I said, it'd be something a little bit revolutionary in order to be really good at that, I think. Yeah, definitely. Well, Bill, I know we're out of time here. So before we go, tell the listeners again, just real quick, where they can find you on socials and YouTube. And if you got a website. Yeah, the uh, I'm not doing a whole lot on the website right now. I've got BillWinky.com. Um, I need to do more with that. I think it's kind of a cool piece of property. And anyway, I, I, I need to do something there, but I'm not. Um, so YouTube, the Bill Winky channel on YouTube is pretty active. I've got uh, Winky Bill on Instagram. And then we've got uh, Boning Whitetails Official on Instagram. Sweet. And that's where we're most active. Okay. And, and uh, we try to try to be responsive. I'm, I'm pretty good about responding to people that, that ask questions, you know, legitimate questions. And uh, I like trying to help people as best I can. So those are the spots to find me. Heck yeah. Well, Bill, really appreciate your time today. And good luck to you this season, man. Yeah, well, well good luck to you in Kansas. I can't wait to hear about it. Man. Hopefully get a big buck down on the ground soon. That'd be awesome. Good luck. All right, y'all. There you go. Hopefully you're able to pick up on some of these tips, tactics, strategies from Bill whenever you're chasing after those early season bucks. You know, if you got that velvet buck still that you're trying to get down on the ground here soon, hopefully you'll be able to take something from what Bill talked about today and apply it to your game plan and go get that buck down here soon. Or if you're going to be going out in a couple weeks, you're going out of state, whatever you're doing, hopefully you're going to be able to take some tidbit whatever it was apply it to your strategy and get a buck down on the ground before they get crazy in the rut so thanks again y'all for tuning in to this week's episode of the hunt stand podcast if you haven't yet make sure you got the hunt stand app downloaded free pro pro whitetail if you want to unlock all the features make sure you upgrade to pro whitetail today and if you haven't used hunt stand yet make sure you download we got a free version you can play around with it we got tons of different offerings in there and again if you want to upgrade to unlock all the features upgrade to pro whitetail thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you on the next one